This episode is sponsored by Headspace at headspace.com slash N-E-M. You are listening to Nakedly Examined Music, a podcast about songs and songwriters. My name is Mark Linsenmeyer. My guest for episode 140 is Larry Keel. He was a founding member of the McGraw Gap Band in 1990 and has appeared on 20 albums, 12 under his own name, the first of which came out in 1997. You're right now listening to The Sound, the title track to his second solo album, 1999. Today we're going to be discussing Mars Cry from his new one, 2020's American Dream. Then we'll hear Crocodile Man, an older tune re-recorded for his 2019 album, One, and look back to Diamond Break from 2009's Backwoods. We'll conclude by listening to another song from the new album, Try. For more information, please see LarryKeel.com. For more about this podcast, go to NakedlyExaminedMusic.com. And from there, you will find links to subscribe directly to the podcast, to find our Facebook and Twitter, to find the Spotify playlist I maintain of all the songs on all the episodes. And there's a link there that will help you rate and review this on Apple Podcasts or wherever you'd like. Finally, if you'd like to support the show, go to Patreon.com slash NakedlyExaminedMusic. You'll get an ad-free feed, you'll get my notes for this episode, and most importantly, you'll get that warm feeling that lets you know that you are helping this podcast get made. All right, I will play it a little bit of the title track from The Sound 1999 to introduce folks to you. We're going to get pretty quickly to the new album, Mars Cry. The Sound is your second solo album, but I see you have stuff going back to 1990. Can you say a little about the journey in terms of going from these sort of progressive ensemble instrumental things to what you're doing now? I just always sort of tried to stay true to what I hear and feel and it's been a long road and a good road, just sort of all the influences that you have along the way sort of inspire your sound and inspire what you write about. And hopefully your playing gets a little better, you know. That's what I've written a lot about is the things that have inspired me along my journey in the music world and traveling and now being a little older. It's nice to reflect upon things and write about what I know now, too. So from American Dream, the tune that I picked off of that to play was Mars Cry, which is the closing tune, one of the more serious tunes. Can you say a little about where you're at with this album and that song in particular? That song is strangely inspired after an all-night drive back from Colorado and getting to my little mountain house before the sun come up. And as the sun's coming up, we had this cat that we've had there. My wife had had one. And we tried to tame the thing for like 12 years. I remember first thing in the morning after we got back, the sun started coming up and I heard the cat coming out of the woods with something. And it, was, it always had that sound like, ow, ow, sounded like that. So it was sort of scary. The song sort of took on the feel of that cat, the warrior spirit of it, you know, the mystical spirit of the cat. And that time of day, it's a moody song, you know. the 
moon has died And singing songs about a day and a life Plants keep changing Lives rearranging As a new day is upon its timely way So yes, a very moody thing. I was wondering, given how many of the other songs on here are social commentary, if part of that was being worried about the dark forces of potential civil war or, you know, that kind of stuff coming out of what's going on. But you're saying this is a more spiritual, primal dawn thing rather than like the song American Dream, a more direct commentary. It's sort of uh, dreamy and just a dark mood and just sort of trying to apply my thought patterns towards fitted into this song about this cat and how they might relate. And was the starting point musically that do 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 or was that something later? What is it, the germ that grew into the rest of the song musically? Do you remember? They all came together that way. The guitar line of it, it just had that morning feel and it had the speed of the way the cat would walk and crawl around and be its dark self. There's not a lot of like morning has broken dawn songs that are a minor key driving <laughs> dirge. It's the that Mellotron flute thing, which seems a pretty rare sound for you to use in your palette there, for me, kind of captures most that kind of sustainy dawn thing. Was that the last thing, that, that keyboard? After recording the whole thing, yeah. I would say a MIDI guitar, but that's not the way they work anymore. <laughs> it's not. Yeah, it's got a bunch of different sounds. The song has the rhythm of the groove going, but it sort of needed that ethereal feel about everything just open and like the fog rising on the mountain and such you know and you played all the instruments on this one right this whole album yeah i did i started each track with the acoustic guitar and vocal on all the songs and then i would add the bass to it and then usually the mandolin because the guitar bass and mandolin would get the rhythm section flowing pretty good and then added banjo or electric guitar, whichever, depending on what songs. Then some mandolin leads and such. I find the bass on this one really interesting because it can't decide quite what it's... Is it going to be... Or just go boom, 
boom. But like now it's a nice country song and it kind of really helps change the tone just from line to line, even within a verse that is it going to be a more dark driving thing or is it going to settle into a country groove since there's no drums for it to fight. It's like that's determining the whole thing with the guitar. You know, I never really claimed to be a bass player. I'll say that. But the whole album is that way. Every take on every instrument is what I would do. You know, it's like my wife is such a great bass player, but this is what I would do on the on the CD. So I'm fooled with the groove a lot on that one just to try to figure it out. And I decided that each part should have its own feeling about it and build it up as it goes, you know. Yeah, I normally, like, if I write something that's a minor key drone, a vamp, then usually there's some rhythmic element that just repeats in the whole song. But you resisted that, that, no, it's going to be more fluid. In fact, uh, let me play a, a section. This is in the middle of the chorus. Nature's call As a scene to fall Back to the spirit of what it all means to me You really get that crescendo and everything falls away. That you couldn't really do that in that way with that kind of subtlety if you had rhythm, you know, either the drums are on or the drums are off. Like, that's a big change, whereas just a little less frantic on the guitars can really raise things up and down there. It's interesting playing all the instruments on the CD. It's like you sort of try to self-edit as you go along, and you never really know what the song's going to sound like until you've recorded everything. It's, it's, the strange, it's a very strange feeling to where normally when I write a song, I know what I want it to sound like, and then I'll show it to my band, and each person will have their own take on the song and their own feeling, and you play it for a while until you create something, but you automatically sort of get a satisfaction of, okay, here's a version of what it sounds like, but as you're building it, it's interesting. I know what I played on guitar, and I know how I want to enforce that rhythm on the mandolin, or not, or... I know where a space is going to be to put the electric guitar sounding like the Mel 9. I guess what I find most interesting about that particular dynamic is kind of like waves crashing, that the fact that you were doing it all by yourself means that you could have, if you wanted to very easily, like have everything actually stop, have an actual silence there. But instead, it's more like the waves crashing and there's still a little stuff going on there. Like there's a definite dynamic move, but it's not orchestrated in the way that, you know, I find with a group, if you want everything to actually stop, then you have to cue that. You have to, okay, like, please help remember when we get to this, we're going to actually stop, not just follow my rhythm, you know, follow my general energy level, which people tend to do pretty well, but they're not going to actually, you know, there's still going to be stray notes filling up the gaps unless you really enforce it. I sit in with a lot of bands and that's always the big thing. Don't run a stop sign. I won't let you run the stop <laughs> sign. <laughs> it's like, yeah, thank you. But in this case, you're kind of playing like you were a group, that you didn't enforce the stop sign, that it's more the overall energy of, of what you were doing. Like with each pass here, is it pretty much one take on the lead guitar or is it several takes? Are you punching in at all? There was no punching on any of the electric or acoustic, just laying down the tracks at that point. But it pretty much was everything on the first take on that one. Well, tell me if this was planned. So this is going into like, I think the second chorus plans keep changing but i was thinking this might be a bridge just because it's a different chord plans keep changing Life's rearranging. yeah that's a bridge okay so the fact that there's one different chord means it's the bridge even though it's otherwise exactly like the chorus is that right yeah, exactly. It's like the first chorus goes to a C chord, I believe. And then on the rest of them, it goes to a G chord. Yeah, it's sort of a chorus. It's, it's the second part of the song, anyway. Let me play one other section. This is the instrumental starting at 2.16. This actually didn't give me a clue that this was not a keyboard. This is a guitar through an effect. Is upon its timely way. sounded like you were playing with the effect on and it was not added in post. 
I felt the effect just sort of grooving on it. And there's like points where I sort of try to simulate the cat sound by doing bends. I think the Meltdown did take on the feel of the cat for me. I thought a lot about that at certain points in the song, for sure. Now that I understand this is about a cat, here in Mars Cry, now that the moon has died, singing songs about the day in the life. I can't take this too literally because for a cat, plans don't keep changing. <laughs> it started me and the cat, you know, it's a dual personality sort of thing. It's just associating it. Yeah, it's sort of philosophical, you know. Yes, all the wars won and battles fought in this lifetime, and the mind is where they all begin. Yeah, say a little about what that means to you. It's just the power struggles of everyone and somebody wanting to be lead and fight wars and all that. It just it all starts with someone's own personal agenda half the time. You know, if you could just take time and open your mind and look out in front of you clearly, you can see the goodness. And hopefully that's what will win over everything. You know, if, if you can get your mind thinking that way. Sure, everybody just freaking chill out. We're creating most of our own problems, personal and interpersonal. <laughs> exactly. It's just trying to put it down in words, you know. Before we get on to the next song, let's talk about our sponsor today, Headspace. Even in the new year, it's hard to start a new routine. But if you're one of the 34% of Americans who made a resolution to be less stressed, Headspace is here to help. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. It is one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. 25 published studies on its benefits, demonstrating, for instance, that just 30 days of Headspace lowers stress by 32%. Just four sessions can reduce burnout by 14%. Headspace is great for helping you focus, helping you sleep, I'm in the middle of the Basics 2 course, and Andy, your meditation leader, was talking about making the mind more pliable, more flexible, more patient. It's a good skill to have, whether you just want to settle down and listen to music, whether you want to focus on your craft, get yourself going in the morning. There are even meditations you can do with your kids. Headspace has received over 600,000 five-star reviews, over 60 million downloads, it is a really useful tool to make it easy to build a life-changing meditation practice. It is mindfulness that works for you on your schedule, anytime, anywhere. You deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash N-E-M. That's headspace.com slash N-E-M. You'll get a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash N-E-M today. Let's get the second song out there, Crocodile Man, from the album One, 2019. I gather from your press release, I had picked this before I, I noticed this in the press release, that this is one of kind of the seminal songs of, this is you in, a, in the band, right? Yes, this is me. And which album is this off of again? This is on One, 2019. I don't know if that's the original version. Yeah, that's not the original version, but oh, okay. Yeah, that's uh, Jared Poole that is playing mandolin on there, and that's my wife Jenny Kill on bass. I originally had written it and recorded it, I believe, on the sounds, maybe or somewhere in there, or maybe not. But I wrote it around the time that Steve Irwin, the Crocodile Hunter, passed, and I don't know, just thought he was a good dude and. Watched this show a bunch and just thought it was cool. And it's an instrumental song, so you, there's no words to. That's okay. <laughs> to describe it, I try to get the feel of the underwater, his vibe going on, you know. And, and I even watch some of it while I'm trying to write the song, just to sort of create that vibe. And it's just something that came out one day.
this is such a strong head at this and I'm kind of surprised that it doesn't happen more but I guess this is sort of a classic jazz structure right that you introduce that you play it a couple times there's even a B section with it and it comes back at the very end but then in the middle it's just going back between you and the mandolin doing solos of various lengths when we play it in a live circumstance which hasn't happened in a long time it really takes on a, a very serious jazz approach because my wife, Jenny, she'll play like just sort of a straight, like a Coltrane type of feel bass line versus where sometimes it can be busy with the boom, 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 you know, all the syncopation, everything. Or you can just go boom, 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 like the jazz sort of approach. We do a lot of heavy improvising to where take three or four solos a piece and just build long solos and delve in that groove for a while, you know. Yeah, she has such a responsibility to hold things down in that and very well could just play that very strong bass line that starts the whole song. It doesn't do that. It's not that boring. It keeps the same groove. You know, that would be like, okay, let's record a sample of her and... (laughs) and just um, cut and paste it throughout the song. But, you know, it's a more dynamic thing than that, but yet is able to hold it down. I I guess you're kind of taking turns that when you're soloing, then you've got the Mando providing some rhythmic structure under there along with her. I always tell all the people when we load in at a show, I'm like, they're like, you ain't got a drummer? I'm like, yeah, it's him. There's his little drum right there, (laughs) you know? And Jared provides a lot of different feels in a live situation that can be groovy and sort of funky or like he has some nice sustained pedals too that'll just make it real nice, sound like long sustained organ sounds and stuff. It takes on its own life every time we play it. Do you strictly flat pick or some of it finger picked? Because there's a lot of like open resonance strings here that clearly, even if you're flat picking, you're leaving strings open. It's not like that's kind of the weakness of, you know, unless you bathe a guitar in reverb of an acoustic is it can, if you're playing a lot of notes, just like there's not the natural sustain or something that's built in on, it's not natural if it's on an electric, but the, the affected sustain. But yeah, this is just such a rich, you know, really taking advantage of the of the body, the instrument there. I've played so much acoustic guitar that I just really try to keep that tone going no matter what I'm doing. I mean, I I added electric to it and effects to this CD, but I still left an acoustic channel to be acoustic only to keep that tone going and keep that warmth and the vision of that and the electric because yeah the electric can just override everything if you're if you're not careful and, and you have to respect the dynamics of the acoustic so is this album one is this is this a live album so this is the, the more recent live version that we just heard yes it's live in the sense that all the music was recorded in one track in a basement basically that was soundproofed and we were distance apart, but we could all play, see each other and hear and make it feel more like a live situation. Let me play a little of the B section. So this is right after that riff that I keep referring to. I mean, ending that with that little seventh chord, it really gives a nice boost back to the A every time. Do you have names for some of the particular licks? I mean, doing the fast, like the greatest form of everything is using people's licks and ideas and everything. That's the biggest flattery. But I feel like the second part of that song is sort of takes on a more like an Irishy feel. It makes me thinking of licks like the great Tony Rice played, you know, to where he's an acoustic guitar player and I dearly love and. He has some licks that sort of suit that whole style, and I'm sort of playing off some of his thoughts. Yeah, of course, now that you say this, my daughter did Irish dancing for many years. So yes, this is a reel. This is completely an Irish reel. I had not made that connection. I don't know if you put the word crocodile and make make it sound... You probably know better than I do in terms of the cultural influence of the Irish getting into Cajun or something. You know, Cajun is French, but I... It's sort of funny because it started with, yeah, it's a funk jazz beat beginning, first part. And then, yeah, the second part is pretty much a reel. It's just putting two parts together and going, hmm, I hope this will work together. And it has so far. Let me play a little bit of your guitar solo. Mm-hmm. 
just to start that off, that you're playing the same note on two strings so that you can kind of get that double fake reverb, <laughs> I guess you could call it. Exactly. That triplet's sort of a sound I hear when I from an old legend and friend of mine, Sam Bush. He, he does a lot of that on the mandolin. He plays a lot of the little, 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 you know, and of course it's fun to play, so I'll throw it in whenever I get a chance. Well, and I like that it is you and the mandolin going back and forth because you're sort of doing some mandolin-y kind of riffs in some parts. And I feel like he's doing some guitar. He's not staying to tremolos and, you know, what you would normally associate with the fast mandolin either. Jared is an amazing guitar player himself. And there's a funny story there that he grew up basically watching me play guitar and watching my bands as they evolved as a very young kid and was always really really good i mean even at i don't even know 12 years old or whatever but so he grew up watching us he'd come to our shows and he'd have to have x's marked on his hands so that he wouldn't drink you know at the bar or whatever special stuff and he'd sit there and watch every lick and everything and hung out forever and at one point he had picked up the mandolin and just really within i don't know three or four years became smoking on it at one point i needed a mandolin player and i was like well, this is the perfect fit right here he knows all my music he knows all my licks he knows the whole thing so it's really fun every time we get to play together to uh, create that and watch that dynamic he was a friend of the family or something? How did you, this is? Well, you know, in my upbringing, my family and I and, and a lot of my friends grew up going to like fiddlers conventions, which are like a big thing in Virginia and North Carolina and just the South and the East out here. A lot, there's a lot of them. And that's sort of where you learn to get your chop and you learn to play. You know, I, I went from ages like eight to 18, basically, uh, every year and made a lot of friends in the music business and learned a lot of music and just sort of figure out your style, you know, is a great way to grow up. And in the bluegrass world, too, there's always a lot of like, I grew up on like on weekends, on Saturdays when everybody was off in the evening, they'd have like potluck dinners and stuff. And my dad and my brother would because they played music. One family or another would have one. All the musicians would come out and it'd be like 10 or 12 different musicians just hanging out and playing music together. And you create a good musical family like that, building it through the years. And that's how I met Jared and so many other great musicians. Well, let's make the transition to the Backwoods album, 2009. The song I picked for it was Diamond Break on there. It's the most lush arrangement that we've had yet. This is between 2019's that was your touring band, those, just those three people, you and your wife and Jared at that point? That was... It's just who was in the basement that day for that song. At that point, the band I was touring with, it was called Larry Keel and Natural Bridge. And it was Jason Flanoy, I believe, and Mark Schimmick. So is that who we're about to hear on from the Backwoods album? Yeah. Okay, we'll say a little about Diamond Break before we play that song, because this is a different approach. To me, it's a lot of guitar attack sounds. Like, it's such a lush thing, but it's very, like, you don't... And this one actually has percussion. Yeah, so you had a drummer, or at least a percussionist on this, unless that was just purely for the studio. Yeah, I had a drummer, and it's Jeff Covert playing the drums. He's the one that recorded it, and he's a great engineer, producer, all that sort of thing. But he added some percussion to the whole thing, and. The song was basically the culmination of traveling to New Orleans a lot. I guess from the year 2000 through 2005, playing a lot down there at Tipitino's and the Maple Leaf and Jazz Fest and Mardi Gras and just getting really getting to know a lot of people down there and feeling the strength of the city and all that. Then Katrina had hit... And my ambassador, basically, down there, Chris Jones, he's a world-class Cajun cook, really good friend and had introduced us to all these people and family and just really good feeling that we had down there, good base. And yeah, just musicians and artists and everything. And then Katrina hit and all these people that we knew were having to help everybody get out of all this flooding and save everybody's lives. And they lost everything. A lot of them had lost everything they had. A lot of this family we had met were going to a big boat parking lot 
that had been flooded out and hot wiring a bunch of boats and getting different drivers to go rescue people out of the tops of their houses and stuff like that. They had everything taken away from them. So it's, it's more or less like, what do you do when a diamond breaks? You got to just pick up the pieces, you know, and then keep on going. Such a nice, warm song. And this actually really sounds like it could be on the current album. You know, it's kind of why I didn't choose American Dream for the first track or something, because we already had this nice bit of brightness for number three that just to show that you don't just write minor key snarly songs. This is very pretty. And also like the new stuff like American Dream and and some of the other songs on the new album reacting to the news of the moment. I mean, was this kind of a... I didn't notice whether that was something that was present in your songwriting all the way back to, you know, 97, 99, your first albums, or whether, you know, you were more concentrating on the instrumental stuff and this, you know, more reacting to political things was a relatively recent addition. 
This was in reaction definitely to Katrina. Like American Dream, sure, it's my opinion of what I see and how I feel. And I try to put a positive spin on it. Try to leave somebody with something good rather than bring them down, you know, try to lift them up. I think political songs are the most effective when they are personalized in this way. That it's like, you know, you talking to an individual or talking about yourself as opposed to all those bastards out there, you know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's just, that can feel good, but it's a, just a less effective statement. And that's what I wanted to do. I stay out of politics. It's like, it is what it is. If you got a problem, write your congressman, you know. And just try to be positive out there as much as you can, because, yeah, the world world seems to need it a lot more these days. So, and I'm sort of working on a new CD as we speak during the winter, this winter, because no work going on here. So are you doing all the instruments yourself on this? Or your wife is in your pod, at least. You, can, you have the option. <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm working on the whole concept. So, yeah, she'll probably be involved. We can put her to work. She's got enough time now. The Crescent City Starlight. Is Crescent City a Louisiana-specific reference that I don't know? They call uh, New Orleans the Crescent City. I should know that. I didn't know until I'd been there and, and, and learned from them, you know. I'm a sucker for percussion. I will say that. So, so the fact that this was just added in post by the guy who was running the sessions is a, is a little disappointing. But it, this sounds just so crafted. Can you say a little about, again, kind of how you're working with the band, how much you're policing them? This is where we're stopping. You know, there's a lot of banjo going on here. It's really, I can see it, that the overall strategy of the song seems to be we're going to have this really fast banjo thing, but it's not going to be frantic. The whole song is going to be very peaceful, but yet somehow you can have somebody playing 16th notes through the entire song, and that's still fine. It's sort of like having like a snare drum doing it, but louder. It's basically what he's doing. He's doing a... You know, to a slow beat. But you don't hear that with drums. It's not like Wipeout can be a ballad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't really want the drummer to do that, you know, because I don't know. I like the feel of the banjo sure. doing it. The percussionist, the things Jeff Covert thinks of are, is really intense. He's, he's got his own way of doing things. And I let him do what he thought. And when I heard it, I was like, yeah, I dig it. Having Triangle come in just for like a little cool, Ding, jazzy yeah. little bit. <laughs> That's the way he thinks. And he had listened to the music so many times and knew what we were trying to do, you know. And it's like, and at that point, I didn't really want percussion on the whole CD at all. And it had more of a bluegrass sort of band feel at that time. But that song, I felt like just needed a little tingle, a little ting, just a little something in there, you know. You know, you've got this underlying banjo thing in the whole thing, but just how then you make the lead guitar, lead in quotes, I guess, answer when a lyric is finished. So is that just one guitar or two guitars doing the just one? Okay. So you're just holding it down with your, well, but you're not finger picking. So you're not holding it down with your thumb. I was going to say. No, no, just, you know, I felt like it needed something in that space. Just one guitar for sure. Well, and it's so tuneful and not, you know, the fact that you can still have a riff, a lead riff that fits there instead of just like let nothing happen because then people will focus back on the banjo, which is still wailing away. But the fact that you can have those two things, you know, that it's taking the role of the vocal for a second, basically, when your your guitar is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's the feel at that point. Is there a lot of evolution in the way that you're choosing to sing this as it goes? Like throughout this song, I noticed in the later verses, there's a little more dragging out on some of the words, which I assume is just kind of like how it feels in the moment. Can you say a little about what your choices on how you're deciding to act this out? Is that something that like you have interactions with the producer? Like, no, make that one more dramatic and, you know, as opposed to just cutting the note short, because there's a good variation in here. I think it's just being in the moment and singing from the heart and just the way it makes me feel to say what I'm saying. You know, it's just really honest. I produced it for better or for worse. So it's just heartfelt. 
Are there any particular vocal influences? Or here you're almost crooning in some of it, whereas a lot of your songs really have the the southern guy, you know, <laughs> like your speaking voice. Maybe Dylan a little bit, you know, and some of the chorus, you know, it could never be the same as it was before or something, you know, maybe a little Dylan. Dylan in his younger days. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't know. It's interesting you asked me that. I would think Dylan, myself, I've got a lot of vocal influences. I mean, from just everything in there, from David Lee Roth to Bill Monroe to just every, all kinds of different songs of everyone because i mean i've i grew up covering songs and you sort when you cover a song you sort of grab that influence from whoever you're covering you know and learn little isms as you go but uh david lee roth did you really say, I yeah you know, that. I'll, tell you, I, I'll tell you that's when i grew up you know yeah and uh <laughs> and jerry reed and just on and on and on, you know. Just there's a lot of influences there. Yeah. Now I'm trying to think. Of, how about uh, lyrical influences? I guess I'm asking this because you know you're such a powerful lead guitar player, and the thing this this uh what did you refer to it hillbilly shredding in your it's almost <laughs> like the fact that you can sing and have a singer songwriter persona is just a bonus. Like you could completely get away and have you know have a wonderful career. Just being the crocodile man uh, guitar player, everything beyond that is juice, is, is, is bonus for the audience. Yeah. So any, any thoughts about sort of the evolution of your, seems like this was some kind of journey to get to these later songs where you're, I don't know, was the poetic instinct from there from the beginning that you were writing lyrics at age 12 and things? Or was this really something that you just like grew into as starting as an instrumentalist? I started as an instrumentalist, but, you know, when you try to put words to something, your first songs are going to come out however they come out. You know, you got to write something to start with. But as you go, you, you try to you hone it in a little bit. You know, I guess, you know, different things you read in literature and that affect you, you know, and all the people you meet and all the experiences and all the knowledge you gain from all of that. And just getting older, I guess, you learn to take stock more what what counts and you're not distracted by being all the young wild child or whatever you are you know it's sort of like okay life's just ticking along and here's how i feel about it and hopefully as we all grow older we we get a little little more well-spoken or can put your thoughts together and put them out there to everybody and i just think uh where i'm at now is just being honest and and being clear about what i have to communicate and yeah trying to do it with a positive vibe you know well that sounds like a good transition to just introducing our last song here i had picked try your first single from the new album which uh we're going back to there are more feel-good songs that we could have ended this with. This is another kind of minor key thing, but it, you know, it has this fairly straightforward, relatable message. Yeah, man. It's like, rather than uh, accept everything uh, that you don't like or whatever and just put up with it, well, you can always, you know, you can try to do better and try to make it better and just keep on keeping on, getting up and getting on with it. Well, thanks so much for doing this. Great talking to you. Anything else? Do you know when this next album is going to be done, approximately? Oh, I don't know exactly, but I would hope by the fall of 2021. And we should refer folks to, so this is American Dream is your 18th album, something like that? Yeah, that's not all Larry Kill albums, but that's how many I am on. And I think I think it is my 13th or 14th actual Larry Kill so those are the ones that I listened to. I didn't look at your website and the, the wiki to see what the complete list was until this morning. So I didn't actually listen to Grass, the pure bluegrass album. And also I just discovered these Keller in the Keels albums this morning, which I guess has been your most commercially successful thing. <laughs> They're going number one on Billboard. <laughs> yeah, it's been very, very successful. I mean, we had a brand new one out called Speed that we released this year and was hopefully going to tour the whole thing. We had all the major venues in America and some international things too. And COVID shut us down on all that. But, uh, yeah, people have, they've been loving the CD and I wish we could get out there to everybody and play all the music on it. And hopefully 2021 we'll, we'll be able to do that. 
Well, I will refer folks to go listen to that on their own. And, you know, in addition to all these originals, you've got some very creative with that group and your own stuff, cover tunes. I mean, this version of the Star Trek theme song. And I was listening to this oh, yeah. their Pink Floyd tune with with Keller and the Keels this morning. Maybe I'll get Keller Williams on one of these at some point. We can talk more in detail about his sensibilities. But yeah, really a pleasure immersing myself in your fine playing, fine uh, singing there. Well, thank you so much. And thanks for putting it out there to everybody. I appreciate you appreciating it because uh, it's like the tree in the forest thing, you know. All right, sir. Here's Try. get my head all right it feels like a never-ending night can't line my ducks up in a row being pulled in by the undertow Change in my forecast The weather and the storms I'd pass Dry Well, money, it just brings me down Trying not to run aground Gotta keep my ship afloat And maybe I need a bigger boat Thanks so much to Larry. To learn more, go to LarryKeel.com. I will link to more of Larry's work from the blog post associated with this episode at NakedlyExaminedMusic.com, including some of his Keller and the Keels work. He also has a couple of albums under the Keel Brothers. He's played with Tyler Childers, Billy Strings, other folks. My next interview will be with Robert Forster of the Go-Betweens, a wonderful interview. And then I talked to Rebecca Rigo, very interesting singer-songwriter. Make sure you're subscribed directly to this podcast, even if maybe you listen to episodes on the Partially Examined Live feed. I do that cross-posting to get the numbers that I need for the advertisements to be profitable. But if you want to get the episodes on time, stick to the NEM feed. Or, like I said, you can go to patreon.com, Nakedly Examined Music, and sign up for a small per-episode donation. If I don't produce them, you don't pay anything, and you'll get your very own ad-free feed. You'll get my episode notes with all the lyrics to the songs, the breakdowns that I'm referring to when I do these interviews. I hope you're all doing well. Just hold tight. We'll get vaccinated. You'll be able to go back, play with your bands, go to shows, whatever, pretty soon. You can make it. Write some more songs, maybe. We're listening to some more unfamiliar artists. However you do it, keep on musicking. Until next time, this is Mark Lintenmeyer signing off.
When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri.